FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast that goes snicked. I'm your host, Jason. I got an underwater snake, man. Venable. And it's a flashback episode for Atlantis Attacks. That's right, the 1989 summer Marvel annual blockbuster. Following on the heels of the super successful question mark evolutionary war from 1988. We have Atlantis Attacks in 1989, which involved several. Marvel annuals, of course, including Uncanny X-Men Annual 13, which we will get to. Um, yeah, Atlantis Attacks, big story. I uh, this is my first time to read this, and I read it in its entirety. I uh, won't lie, skip some of the backups, <laughs> uh, but that's my prerogative, right? That's my prerogative. I don't think that's the right melody. I think I just did the words to Bobby Brown's song to a different song. But anyway, that is neither here nor there. I'm all out of cocaine. <laughs> so Bobby Brown is uh, irrelevant. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, advanced attacks, of course, will involve some underwater shenanigans, though not as many as you might think. But we'll get to that. Um... So yeah, so I'm going to rip, just like we did with Inferno, I'm going to rip right through most of this as quickly as possible. I will, you know, after the episode comes out, go back and tweet some things that I found, you know, humorous or awesome or mostly humorous from all the other issues. But I'm only going to talk about really the Uncanny X-Men issue, which, you know, this is the podcast that goes snicked. Not the podcast that goes swimmy swim swim. So if you want that podcast, you know, ask somebody to do it. <laughs> Actually, you know, and if anyone knows, John Wilson knows. John Wilson, is there a Namor or name Namor? Namor. Namor podcast, the Submariner. Who literally until oh I don't know, forever? I called the Submariner. Because that made sense to preteen Jason. And it stuck. All the way really until... I also called the baseball team the Seattle Mariners. Yeah, I think they are, right? That's what they actually are. And so I just assumed Submariner, right? It's like the minor league team <laughs> for the Seattle baseball team. Um, the Submariners, because they're not quite ready to be Mariners. Um... Yeah, yeah, they're Mariners. So, but so I used to call them the, the Seattle Mariners. Did I? I don't know. This story, man. Who cares? I'm boring myself, so I know you guys are in trouble. Um. Anyway, I apologize for the sound of my voice. Uh, I mean, just generally speaking, the sound of my voice. But also on this episode, I am very, very, very sinusy. So take with that what you will. But hey, that's why I'm going to make it short. So, Atlantis Attacks, we're going to start with a little uh, prequel in New Mutant 76, because it's important to the story, somewhat. 
So right, right, right on the heels of Inferno. The exterminators and new, and new mutants find an Atlantean horn and blow it, summoning a giant octopusy from the bottom of the sea. Namor comes and helps beat the beast and takes the horn home. Please remember that there's a, a giant death horn that came from the bottom of the sea that summons monsters. That, that might come back. Right, so Atlantis attacks itself, kicks off officially in Silver Surfer Annual Number 2. Um, here, the Deviant Guar, not the band with the, the cricket hats. Um, and actually, I think someone in the, in the comic says, it sounds like they're saying Gore. So I'm guessing the pronunciation is probably Gore. is G-H-A-U-R, which I would say Guar, or Gar. They say gore. So anyway, the deviant gore, and if you don't know your Marvel history, this isn't the best part of it. But um you had the Eternals who were created, you know, to be like the master race, essentially. <laughs> and the deviants who were I don't know. In other master race scenarios would have been put in concentration camps. Uh, not a very good allegory. <laughs> I don't think that's Probably what Marvel was going for, but that's kind of the chord it strikes. But anyway, you have the deviants who are like, you know, the, the, the misfits, kind of like, you know, the Morlocks to the Eternals, I guess you would say. Anyway, they're all kind of monstery. Anyway, so Guar, or Gore, is like king of the deviants. And um, anyway, uh, he, he was discombobulated and disintegrated out in space. But because of the cosmic power of the Silver Surfer, he's able to reunite and return to Earth. And he goes to not Atlantis, which we will call Lemuria, to help Lemuria find the Serpent Crown. Alright, that's it. Iron Man Annual Number 10. Atuma, who is currently the King of Atlantis, joins Gore and Lemuria. And they seek to recreate the Serpent Crown to usher the death god set back to this dimension. And he's a snake god. A snake god. A seven-headed snake god. Uh, they attack the Panama Canal, um, where apparently, but very vaguely, Namor dies. That's going to take us to the third chapter, which is where we come in. The Uncanny X-Men, Annual 13. Contents. Double Cross by Carrie Austin and Mike Bosberg. Then there's a couple of backup stories. We have Jubilation Day by Sally Pashkow, Jim Fern, and Joe Rubenstein. And then Saga of the Serpent Crown, Serpent in the Garden uh, by Peter Sanderson, Mark Bagley, and Keith Williams. Now all of these, just like the Evolutionary War, had like a running backup in every chapter that kind of explained the history of the high evolutionary. Well, in each of these backups, after whatever other assorted backup material, is a history of the serpent crown. And it was kind of interesting at first, about, I don't know, I probably made it 75% of the way through before I bailed on it. Um, yeah, once they got to like, uh, when it went to all the alternate Avengers and stuff like that, and it's kind of, yeah, I don't care. 
Um, anyway, in this chapter, so there's there's our our main story, Double Cross, has chapters. And in chapter one, Diamondback tries to seduce Wolverine in Dazzler's body. And if you're not sure what's going on here, I wasn't either. But luckily, we get a recap via some audio tapes uh, to try to clear up the confusion. And here's what happened. Mr. Jip, our villain of the piece, switched them. He captured them on some other adventure in some other book. And it says, you can read the asterisk. It was, I think I'm not Marvel too much, but uh, Strange Tales. So, you know, one of the various Marvel anthology books. There was an adventure where Dazzler and Diamondback got switched around by Mr. Jip. So, her brain is in her body and her brain is in her body. Right? Right. So, the Serpent Society is looking for snake artifacts for our evil underwater coalition. And Mr. Jip is using Dazzler to blackmail the X-Men into helping him get the Serpentine prizes first. Storm decides the X-Men are going after Mr. Jip to force him to switch the ladies back. The constant bickering probably forced her hand. <laughs> uh, Diamondback and Dazzler argue like cats and dogs about the way they're treating each other's bodies. One of them eating too much for the other's liking, etc. One of them trying to seduce Wolverine a little too much for the other one's liking. <laughs> anyway. Um, so Gateway is supposed to send the X-Men to Mr. Jip's base, but he scatters them. Not where they want to go, or they might need to go. I guess he knew their plan wasn't going to work. So he has a backup plan. So, chapter two, Wolverine and Dazzleback, who is Dazzler and Diamondback's body, get sent to the Savage Land with a mental image of a stone idol they need to collect. Dazzleback is mad, so they split up. She sees some dinosaurs, uh, duh, Savage Land, and a serpent saucer, which she follows. She promptly gets captured by Asp and Puff Adder, she wakes up to Wolverine smoking who had snuck inside. He carries her out and tussles with Asp and Boomslang? <laughs> I don't know what, no, what kind of snake is that. Anyway, uh, before getting a bear hug, or I guess snake hug, from Puff Adder. Not Puff Dadder. Puff Daddy? <laughs> That's a good mashup. Puff Adder and Puff Daddy. There you go. Um, anyway, Dazzleback slingshots Puff Adder in the head. But oops, that rock she used was the idol. Wolverine picks it up and they both get teleported away. Chapter 3. Havoc, Colossus, and Rogue land in Ohio where they best Native American totem from Anaconda, Black Mamba, Coach Whip, and a guy with tripped snake's eggs. He realizes he's over his head. He's outclassed, so he gives up. Chapter 4. Storm, Psylocke, Longshat, and... Longshat. <laughs> Shat you out of my womb. Uh, Storm, Psylocke, Longshot, and Diamond Dazzle, who is Diamondback and Dazzle's body, land in Iceland where they fight Black Racer, Rattler, Cottonmouth, and Bushmaster. 
insert terrible joke there. Um, Longshot finds the lucky rock in a field of rocks, but Rattler buries him in an avalanche. Diamond Dazzle picks up the rock, teleporting them away. Not Longshot, he's still buried. Alright, Chapter 5. The X-Men all arrive at Mr. Jip's lair. Mr. Jip collects his items and switches back Dazzler and Diamond back. Wolverine threatens Mr. Jip to bring Longshot back. You know, kind of gives him the claws or else. Um, Sidewinder teleports in and Diamondback gives him the totems. As they both teleport away after explaining some asinine plot points. Mr. Jip gets his feelings hurt and sends the X-Men home. Logan and Dazzler make up their friends again. Um, Sidewinder and D-Back. Deliver the trinkets to Rira and Gore. And they're going to use them to remake the Serpent Crown. Alright, so before we get to the backups, let's talk about our main story. The title page is pretty cool. They still a panel from later in the issue. That is definitely the best panel of Wolverine in the comic. It's him reading up on the wall, smoking. It's the same one that Dazzler wakes up to. But it's pulled out, isolated, and put on the title page, and it's a nice image. It's really cool. Um, so on page three, wow, uh, Dazzle back, right? Which one did I do it? Hold on. No, Diamond Dazzle. Diamond back in Dazzle's body. While she's trying to seduce Wolverine, she talks about how she wants him, and she says, I've had the best there is, which is obviously a play on the Wolverine catchphrase on the best there is at what I do. And she says, I've had the best there is, but now I want you. I think you'll be better. So that was a cool little play on his catchphrase. Um, if there's anything people need, it's, it's more catchphrases than pillow talk. Just saying. Um, there's also a part on page 8 where Wolverine they're trying to make a plan of Wolverine's like, finally, less talk, more rock. So that's, that's Wolverine for you. On page nine, he definitely has a cigar, and they call it a cigar. Um, Dazzler and Diamondback's body, you know, says, get that El Disgusto cigar out of my face. I also thought it was interesting that they switched bodies, but not costumes. I think this is just for the convenient conclusion. So as much as they make fun of each other and bicker at each other, like, you know, one of them is mad that she's stuck in a body with bigger thighs, you would think maybe the costumes wouldn't fit exactly the same, but apparently they do. They're interchangeable, same body types, and they're drawn pretty much the same, so that makes sense. Um, yeah, so, you know, we have Diamondback's costume on Dazzle's body with Diamondback's mind. And we have Dazzler's costume on Diamondback's body with Dazzler's mind. I think we, did I say that right? I don't know. Anyway, you get the point. So, no switching costumes. Um, on page 10 of the Savage Land, the way they drew it, and it's really not as much the way they drew Wolverine, and he's trying to stop Dazzler from leaving, or uh, Dazzleback from leaving. And he reaches out to, to grab her, and it's really not so much the way they draw him. But the way they draw Dazzler, she's really thrusting her chest out. And it looks like a Wolverine's trying to cop the field. <laughs> He's reaching for some booty. 
But um, anyway, uh, I like there's a part here on on page 15 where Wolverine's fighting the snake people, and uh, I guess Bushmaster has a really thick Australian accent. He says, "That's not a snake. This, this is a snake." Um. Anyway, Wolverine tells him to get a real power and lose the stupid accent, which I thought was really cool. Um, I did have a question about when Storm's team arrives at Iceland. Storm is like, oh, I recognize the coastland. We must be in Iceland. But I understand the X-Men at this point are pretty well-traveled. But why does Storm just automatically recognize the coastline of Iceland? I don't believe they've had a lot of missions there, at least none that we've seen. And it's certainly not, you know, where she would have traveled anywhere as a child, I wouldn't think. So again, obviously Storm is well-traveled. It knows, knows her geography. But that was just a weird kind of way to explain where they were. Especially when they never, they didn't really need to, because they told you in the, in the, you know, in the narration. But, yeah. And of course, Longshot, <laughs> stupid love powers. He finds the rock in really a sea of rocks. Um, I did think it was funny at the end. Uh, they make a point to kind of make a comment about this. I think it's just the writer making fun of the original story. But, like, when Mr. Jip switches the bodies back, he just snaps. There you go. Back in your own bodies. And in the flashback in the recap, there was like all this like extensive machinery, you know, with things on their skulls, <laughs> typical like cartoon body switching stuff. And, you know, that was from the original story. And our heroes are like, uh, so if you can just snap, why did you have to have all that machinery earlier? Why all the, why all the equipment? I just thought it was a funny question. And then there, at the end, Sidewinder says he's going to take the artifacts and the booty. Or no, he's going to take Diamondback back and the booty, which I just thought was funny because, you know, I'm in fifth grade. Um, so, yeah, our backup story comes on the heels of Jubilee's first appearance, which I'm sad that we don't really get to talk about. There's no, no, no Wolverine. As intricately, intricately as they get tied together, kind of sad that her first appearance he wasn't even in. Anyway, um, basically right after that, uh, you know, the, the ex-gals and went shopping, and Wolverine, or not Wolverine, Jubilee was at the mall, and there's some fighting stuff, and when the ladies come home, Jubilee jumps through the portal after them, like kind of sneaks in. So this is her kind of landing in the outback and talking to Gateway. Gateway actually talks to her, you know, which is funny because up to now we kind of thought he might be you. Um, anyway, she runs around. She finds some treasure, plays dress up, sneaks around the base, you know, tries on different costumes. There's actually a funny scene where she's got, like, parts of everyone's costumes on, and she finds a robot dog. Uh, the the part that I thought was funny is she talks about how scary that Wolverine guy is, which, you know, if you know your history of Wolverine with uh, young girl sidekicks, like a.k.a. Kitty Pride, there's kind of a formula there where they start off 
like kind of horrified, like thinking, "Oh, this this is a really scary guy." Which you know, he's a wild man. With, he's short and lots of hair and smokes and drinks and curses and stabs things and you know what's not to be scared about. Um. Anyway, and then of course they they find out eventually he's really just a a short hairy teddy bear who just happens to have you know six deadly adamantium claws. <laughs> Anyway, I just wanted to point out that, you know, her first impression, Jubilee's, who will become one of Wolverine's kind of longest running sidekicks, you know, especially in the solo series, um, that she initially finds him just terrifying. So, thought that was definitely worth mentioning. Um, well, the art is kind of up and down. There's some really cool panels in this first story. By Mike Bosberg. Oh, I guess I should talk about the cover. The cover by Mike Vosberg is not very great. Um, actually, Mr. Jip in the background, he's all kind of shaded in purple, looks kind of cool, appropriately nasty. And all the X-Men fighting the Serpent Society in the front are very, very kind of stiff. And, I don't know. Like, Oh, it's very reminiscent of Al Milgram's art from Secret Wars 2. I definitely want to specify, as I've said on the podcast before, very love-hate with Al Milgram's art. Sometimes he's just amazing, and sometimes he's terrible. Um, but this reminds me of his terrible art. <laughs> Not very good. So just kind of a meh cover. Um, the art on the inside is up and down. Some of the Wolverine stuff's cool. Um... It's just inconsistent. Like some really weird faces and stuff, and even some weird like proportions. There's a part where Colossus gets tiny head. Um you know, just just random stuff like that. The story is not bad. Though there's pretty much no Atlantis in here at all. Um the show is gonna kinda of be a theme in this Atlantis attacks crossover event. Anyway, overall, I'm going to give Uncanny X-Men Annual number 13, 3 out of 6 claws. Not too shabby, but definitely not great. Alright, so that's going to take us to Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 23. Uh, while fighting the Abomination alongside Spider-Man, She-Hulk is marked as the first bride of Set. We'll find out more about that as we go. So she gets kind of branded as the first bride of sex. Punisher annual number two. Punisher and Moon Knight fight junkie snake people and Viper. Also, there's a weird pinup of Punisher shooting at a probably Wolverine. It's weird. It doesn't really look like Wolverine at all. It's almost like a monster zombie Wolverine, but he's got, you know, kind of Wolverine hair and claws. So I'm guessing it's just a really feral, berserker, stylized Wolverine. But anyway, the Punisher is shooting at him. I think that's by John Bogdano. Um, let me bust that out real fast. Oh, the Punisher word. Where is after the story? Yeah, John Bogdano, and yeah, it's weird. It, it, it almost looks like a, a werewolf type creature, 
and he's got weird like his hair really looks more like the way it's colored is like he's bald on the back he's got like devil horn hair and kind of little evil bug like mandibles as a good as a goatee but then he's hairy and he's got you know the six claws so I'm guessing it's kind of a, a Wolverine thing and this would have been right around the time you know that we'll talk about in the upcoming episode where they might have met each other so Bogdanov may have been inspired by that I don't really know um, it's unclear I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's probably Wolverine but not a very good interpretation of Wolverine um, yeah that's the, that's the puncher animal Alright, next up, Spectacular Spider-Man Annual Number 9 amidst news reports of an Atlantis attacking the East Coast. Dagger is marked as the next brightest set. Tyrannus, remember that old guy from Incredible Hulk stories? Very early Incredible Hulk stories. Like when he was gray the first time. Anyway, Tyrannus trades Dagger's freedom to cloak for an ancient book about snakes. A snooping Spider-Man is captured by Tyrannus and his snake people. Daredevil Annual 4, Tyrannus tries to use his book about snakes to sacrifice Viper and resurrect Set before Gore and Weira can, but instead he just calls a snake demon that eats him. Uh, we'll point out that Wolverine and Sabretooth are both featured in a lecture by Daredevil on Enhanced Senses. I just want to point that out. They're in there. These still shots. Um, Alright. So Avengers Annual Number 18. Gore and Weira successfully recreate the Serpent Crown. But this time it's a giant one. They have a Tuma. Atlantis attacks, finally. The East Coast. Captain America calls in all his Avengers favors and dispatches four teams to engage the Atlantean forces. But those with past experience with the Serpent Crown are feeling woozy. And Scarlet Witch is marked as a Serpent Bride. The Avengers win, of course. Excuse me. But this is really, we're, um, let's see. If you don't count the new mutants, we'll just count the actual annuals. This is one, two, three four, five, six, like seven chapters in before we have any actual scenes of Atlantis attacking. <laughs> Alright, well next up is New Mutants Annual 5. We find out that Gars, Gors, sorry, Atlantis attacks plan was for the destruction of Atlantis. It was just a distraction. Get all the army out of there. So while the Atlantean army is away, he has his deviant steal the horn from the new mutant 76 so he can conjure a monster to destroy Atlantis. Remember, Namor took it home. So he left it there, obviously, and now he's quote unquote dead. And so the deviant steal it, they summon a monster. Namorita is joined by Surf, which is the Atlant some Atlantis mutants. And the new mutants defend off the monster as the horn is destroyed. But apparently, enough Atlanteans died to um, count as a sacrifice for Seth. In one of these backups, Boom Boom dreams about prospective boyfriends. It's when he goes through a bunch of heroes and Wolverine is included in those. 
So he's in a dream. Alright, next up, X-Factor Annual 4. Gore collects two more brides as set, Jean Grey and Andromeda. Web of Spider-Man Annual 5. We actually get more Atlantis attack scenes as the tuba finally leads, leads. He doesn't leave. He stays with them. He leads his army, including a Megasaur, against the military Spidey and the FF in New York City. Gore grabs the Invisible Woman as the next bride is set, and Atuba gets news of Atlantis' destruction. Realizing he was betrayed, Atuba surrenders. Alright, next up, Avengers West Coast Annual 4. Gore gathers the seven brides, um, all of which we saw collected except for Storm. Um, anyway, but the seven brides are Storm, She-Hulk, Dagger, Scarlet Witch, Jean Grey, Andromeda and the Invisible Woman. The Avengers Plus Squad, which is basically just the Avengers and a bunch of other heroes, turn their attention to rescuing their female friends. Now, you know, that the Atlantis attacks part is actually over. <laughs> it didn't last very long. Anyway, uh, Gore sends She-Hulk and Andromeda on one mission, and Jean Grey and the Invisible Woman on another mission to collect more artifacts. Uh, they are under mind control. That's how he's able to do that. The Avengers find and capture She-Hulk, but unable to break her free of Gar Gore. It's the spelling. It doesn't look like it should be Gore. Anyway, unable to break her free of his hold, they just they let her go. They release her, so hopefully she can lead them to Gore's base. They find their way into Gore's inner sanctum. Just as he resurrects set. Well, bad timing. Alright. Thor, Annual 14. Thor, Doctor Strange, Quasar, and Ben Grimm in a thing suit. That's where we are in Fantastic Four right now. Uh, fly into one of Seth's mouths and get swallowed into his dimension. And that's how the digestive system works. We send our food to another dimension, and the other dimension sends poop. Anyway, they didn't fare much better there, so Thor goes to the sun, which doesn't really make entire sense, that from that dimension he goes back to our sun, anyway. and he merges with the god-eater Demogorge, so Thor Gorge splits the seven heads of Set and sends them to seven different dimensions. When they return to Earth, Gore teleports away with the seven brides, and of course our heroes vow to follow him. <clears throat> so that brings us to our last chapter. Which is Fantastic Four Annual Number 22. Uh, for Crown and Conquest is the chapters by Roy Thomas, Rich Butler, and Tony Dezaminga. Uh, it also has some other backup Savior of the Lost Artifacts by Mark Greenwald and Tom Morgan and Mike DiCarlo. Stan Lee and Mission Impossible Man by Gregory Wright and Hillary Barta. Dr. Doom Strengths Comparison Page by Peter Sanderson and Ron Wim and Mike DiCarlo. And Saga of the Serpent Crown Game Set Match by Peter Sanderson, Mark Bagley, and Keith Lee. Now, I mentioned the credits on this one because... Wolverine and the X-Men are in a little recap panel. Um, so anyway, 
Here we go. The finale of Atlantis Attacks. Doctor Strange can track the new serpent crowd, so all our heroes are on the way. In route, we get a recap, including the X-Men's role. Uh, Gore still wants to sacrifice the seven brides atop the giant serpent crown. Hmm. Let me try that again. Gore still wants to sacrifice the seven brides atop the giant serpent crown. And one last-ditch effort to bring Set back. Our heroes arrive to battle the Lemurians who are guarding the base. Gore's plan is to spin the brides so fast their essence flies into the crown. No, really, that's his plan. Uh, Namor returns to turn the tide in kind of a weird dangling thread. I'm pretty sure he was our mystery character in armor, which didn't mention and it wasn't important. But no, he just looks like regular Namor now. Anyway, as uh, Gore tops or taps the crown, Naga, the previous wearer of the crown, that snake person, appears and they obliterate each other. The brides are now free. As the base collapses into the ocean floor, our heroes push the giant crown into the abyss, and everyone kind of goes their separate ways. Um, I know this is not good. Story as a conclusion is kind of. There, there's a couple of things that are okay, but overall, kind of boring. Um, I'm going to give Fantastic Four annual number 22, two out of six claws. So, Wolverine didn't really have a whole lot to do. Um, you know, the whole kind of palling around with Dazzler trying to, you know, show that he's a good guy, even though they're still not. I mean, I guess it's just one of those things, right? Like, he didn't do anything. He was just sleeping. And Diamond Bat crawled into his bed and Dazzler's body. He didn't do anything. Um, that he was even kind of like, whoa, what's going on? But Dazzler was mad at him. I think it was just the whole idea that that thing kind of happened. Um, but then they insinuate, and I didn't bring this, I forgot to mention this. They insinuate, and she's like, I don't tell what, you, I don't tell you what to do with my body at night. They insinuate, you know, because, you know, Longshot and Dazzler are currently in a relationship. And they kind of come out together, which is which is just weird. I can understand Dazzler, right? I want to be with my boyfriend. But why she would want him to fool around or even sleep in the same bed as another woman's body, whether it's her or not, just seems awfully like. I don't know if she would just already resolved, like, oh, well, we're just stuck this way. Better make the best of it. And then she gets mad when, when Diamondback does the same. So, I don't know. That whole, that whole bickering was kind of dumb and annoying. And very, like, there's some old guy writing about what women think. <laughs> it, just, it just felt very uh, separated from what would probably really happen. Like, why are you eating cereal making me fat? Why are you not, why are you seducing the hairy guy? Yeah, I don't know. It just, it was weird. It, it was weird. Ah, <laughs> uh, anyway, well, I mean, other than that, the the relationship between him and, and Dazzler was interesting, and he didn't have a whole lot to do with it. You know, just, just being a part of the X-Men. So, um, Atlantis attacks in general. I, like I said, this is my first time to ever read it. Ever. Any of it. Um, 
even the X-ray angle, I never had until recently. Um, so I read the whole thing, like I said, and we saw the main chapters. And um, you know what? I was led to believe uh, by Andrew and, and John and some other people that this was pretty terrible. And I got to say, I didn't hate it. At least not as individual chapters. Like it was very up and down. And as an event, it felt very disorganized and disconnected. I can see why some stories would bring up some things and just kind of act like they're going to be part of the big story and it just kind of disappear. Right? So, from an editing standpoint, and by that I mean the editors at Marvel, seems like a very piss poor job of, of making this one cohesive event story just not good. But some of the individual chapters were not bad. You know, there's some kind of interesting little things going on with the characters. And um, that aspect wasn't terrible. Um, I will say it's, mis it's misnamed. You know, the, the backup about the history of the Serpent Crown was titled The Saga of the Serpent Crown. And it should, this whole thing should have been called The Serpent Crown Saga. Like instead of an Atlantis attacks. Because that's really what it's about. You know, it's about these guys trying to resurrect the death god, snake god, set in the seven snake heads. And, you know, for ultimate power to take over the world. And, you know, in turn, they help the reward. And they, they get to rule with them, right? The typical, like, when we resurrect the evil god, he'll, you know, give us special favors, right? It usually doesn't work that way, but you know, whatever. Um, usually the, the evil god smites them as well. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that's really what the story is about. And it just happens that some of it takes place underwater. And that Namor is there at the beginning and the end. And there is that little part in the middle where Atlantis actually attacks, you know, America. But. There's not much Atlantis attacking going on in this whole event series. Really pretty minimal. Like, really like the crux of two of these issues out of, how many were there total? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Out of fourteen. So one-seventh of this event actually had like a primary story of, of fighting with Atlantis. And other, like I said, other parts of it tangentially involved in Atlantis, but it really wasn't the story. So if you were looking for a bunch of really cool Atlantis stuff, I would have to say this is probably pretty disappointing. Um, if you're looking for a giant story to bring Namor to the forefront and kind of really make him like a you know, a powerful character again. This is definitely disappointing because he really doesn't. I mean, he helps the new mutants, right? And then he dies, allegedly. And then it turns out he's not dead, right? Comes back at the end. He's really evolved in the last chapter. And that's about it. Um, so that's all kind of disappointing. But like I said, there's some interesting things going on. And. You know, just want to point out one thing. A, I may have to go back and read some old Moon Knight. Um, visually, I forgot how cool he is visually. 
I know he's just Batman in white, right? But still, this looks pretty good with an art for that Punisher annual. Um, also, I know it's hip these days to bag on Rob Liefeld. And I know, A, right, so we're, we have him coming up. Get things maybe a little bit out of order, depending on what reading order you look at. Um, since he does a, a, a standalone issue of Uncanny X-Men that we'll, we'll talk about in a couple of flashback episodes. But, um, so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about his art proper there. You know, as he actually gets to draw Wolverine. Um, and interestingly enough, we're, we're almost to the point. I think this, this annual is his first foray into his new mutants mode, which of course is, is pretty landmark and leads into X-Force, which kind of blows up the comics world in the 90s. Um, anyway, I know it's, I know it's popular to bag on him and, you know, the life of feet and all that, and, and there's truth to all that. But he not only drew the new mutants annual, he also drew the story, excuse me, the amazing Spider-Man annual. And I just gotta say, looking at these early, early works of his, it's really easy to see why he became such a superstar and why people loved him and ate up his artwork. It's not perfect, but it's really, really dynamic and it's exciting. And there are still parts of it that are just really, really good. I know some of it he maybe became maybe a little bit of self-parody later. But, you know, he, there's not many people that draw like a guy gritting teeth like Rob Liefeld. And I mean that as a compliment. I don't mean that. Some people make fun of that. I think it's really cool looking. I think he draws some pretty badass looking dudes. Um, but his art is just it's really active fact. I was, you know, particularly, because I knew kind of what I was going to see a little bit in the New Mutants annual. Because I, you know, know what his artwork looks like in the New Mutants. It was really fun to see him draw Spider-Man and, and She-Hulk and that whole story. I don't know. It was just, it's really easy to see why people bought into him and, you know, why I liked him so much as a teenager. You know, it's just, there's something there. There's something there that maybe is to its time, if you want to say that. But it stands out so much against the Marvel house guys. And what, what, We'll, we'll save some of this conversation for when he actually does Wolverine in the Uncanny X-Men. But um, I was just, it was interesting to see that because I haven't looked at his early Marvel art in a long time. And read two issues that I, of his that I never read before. And I was like, okay, this, this is why he was a big deal. Because it makes sense. This, this, is, this is interesting. Faults and all. It's kind of cool. So anyway... Um, take that for what you will. I know it's not very, very hip to, to have that opinion, maybe, but, um, that, that is my opinion. And hey, you know what? My podcast. <laughs> so anyway, that is Atlantis Attacks. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Hope I didn't sound too, too bad. I feel like I can hear my own snot, which is never a good feeling, especially when you're doing a podcast. So if, if that, comes across really bad I'm super sorry. Um, but next up in the flashback bin, we're gonna go to Meltdown. The Wolverine and Havoc story, which will be pretty fun, I think. I've never read that before either. So 
think it'll be interesting because that's super stylized. So it'll be interesting to see how I feel about the art with no nostalgic connection to it. But um, anyway, that's next to the flashback arena. Um, and of course we have our current episodes as usual. Um, so also as usual, like the Facebook page. Twitter is at Snipcast. Email us Snipcast at Yahoo.com. Website with show notes is snipcast.podbean.com and that's going to do it so hugs and snicks everybody until next time bye bye and snap and that is a test